We're going to do a series on the subject of anxiety, of anxiety and worry. This is kind of a season where people are experiencing more and more of that. It's, it's not an uncommon experience, but people experience that more and more to this day. And so, especially in light of where we are right now and, and in light of things from the economy, from the thought of reinfections to just the thought of, 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 of this past week, our, our government um, encouraging states to have different timelines and, and some people are going to feel anxious about are, are we getting out are, are restrictions being loosened too early? Just a lot of worry and a lot of anxiety can sometimes happen. So let's look at this subject matter. It's in the scriptures. Uh, it's here. And so God has addressed it. God's talked about it. So we're going to spend several weeks looking at different aspects of it. Uh, I won't be able to cover it all. But we're going to be looking at what the scriptures actually say about this subject matter. And when you say the word worry or anxiety... Look at those as uh, words that are kind of two sides to, to one coin, okay? Um, I, I would say this. The way we use those words in our English language, the word worry and anxiety, um, we almost, we almost, I'm talking about for our culture, we almost treat that word anxiety as, as something different from worry. But really, they are the same thing. In fact, Bible translators kind of use those words interchangeable. Like if you read the NASB version of the Bible, of what we're reading today, it would use the word worry. If you, you read the ESV version of the Bible, it would use the word anxiety. But I would say just in our culture and how we use those two words, that uniquely, I, I'd like to say this, worry is what leads to anxiety. Like, like for instance, um, I'm anxious, therefore I worry. It's really... I worry, therefore I am anxious. I, I, although those two words mean the same thing and they're used different by, by both Bible translators use those words. I would say it really, when we worry, that's what leads us into anxiousness. And so we're going to look at this subject matter. And you know, it's interesting, that word worry, uh, just that word worry, it's old English use has this idea of strangling to to choking, to feel like you're having the life choked out of you, to feel the shortness of breath. That's that, that old English understanding of the word worry, which I, I can, if you've ever had a panic attack, someone who's had a panic attack, one of the symptoms they describe is this intense choking and this tightening of their breath. Friends, that describes anxiety a lot of the times, this choking out of life that happens. Sometimes you feel it physically when that worry has gone much further. Now, some people would ask me, are, are there ever physical, biological reasons that people have anxious anxiety? Yeah, listen, I, don't distract from the fact that we are inner and outer man. And sometimes, yes, there are co medical conditions that people have that would contribute to an anxiousness. There can be an overactive thyroid. There could, there could be uh, underactive thyroid. There could be things that are going with genuine tissue damage in the body, genuine tissue image. Uh, 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 genuine tissue uh, issues. However, for the vast majority, and the, uh, you know, take that and put that off the table. For the vast majority of us, anxiety is really traced down to this issue of worry, of worry. Now, the good thing about this is the Bible is 
uh, speaks on this issue. The Bible talks about it. The Bible talks about it clearly. Jesus talked about it clearly for several weeks. We'll be looking at Matthew 6 today. Then we'll look at Philippians. Um, and then we'll look at 1 Peter the week after that. So the Bible clearly talks about it. And the Bible is our final authority. And so if the Bible is our final authority and the Bible has spoken on it, then we have something reliable to give us direction. And hear me out on this. There is no counselor. And, and I throw myself in that category. I, I, many of you know I've, I've got training in, in counseling and, and even teach it um, over at Mid-America. Like, like, listen, this even includes me. There is no counselor that can help you with worry and anxiety like the Scriptures can. There is no one who can actually bring peace to your soul except the Lord. So, like, here's what I've discovered. A lot of people try to run to his counselors. Now, listen, you should run to, I mean, counselors are good. Don't get me wrong. But, but counselors and self-help books do not have all the final answers of what the final answers are in the Scripture. In fact, if you're going to see a counselor about worry and anxiety, and, and they don't open up this book and take you to the, some of the main text and start working from that presupposition, you're probably not actually getting real biblical counsel. But the scriptures have spoken to us. They've told us. And in fact, what, oh, what I love is we have Jesus' perspective on it in Matthew chapter 6. We, the, the very Son of God gives it to us. Take your Bible and look with me at Matthew chapter 6. And we're going to look at verse 25 through 34, a very, very... Um, familiar portion of scripture. I have an ESV version here. If you have a NASB, it tracks very closely, except it interchanges out the word. Uh, uh, your NASB would use the word worry. My ESV uses the word anxiety. Verse 25. Although, I, I, like I said earlier, to kind of look at it from how we use those words in our own culture, I would say really worry is what leads us into anxiety. I've never met a person, aside from medical issues, I've got anxiety and worry wasn't a part of it. Worry is what leads to that anxiety, that anxiousness. And that worry, and that old English word, like I told you, is that it's a choking. It's a choking out. You felt that before. We've all felt that when anxious times come. That's, that's how you know. It feels like you can't move. You feel panicked. You feel like you can't breathe. That's that anxiousness that worry promotes. So he says in verse 25 of Matthew chapter 6, the Savior says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink about your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the field of the grass, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. Therefore, do not be anxious about what we shall eat, what we shall drink, what we shall wear. For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient 
for the day is its own trouble. Can we ask God's hand over this um, message? Lord, have your hand on this. Um, Lord, let me be faithful to your scriptures. Let me be faithful to look at your scriptures in light of what the first original recipients understood. Let me understand this in light of of how you how you say man is in the scripture. Um, Lord, let me run far from worldly philosophy that says how to deal with this. And Lord, let us hold closely to what your text says. And we'll trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, by the way, um, we just pray, just a reminder. Um, the last couple of weeks we've been doing a prayer meeting. Uh, we've done it at 8 o'clock on Wednesday night. And um, we're just holding one weekly. It's a Zoom call. If you're on our email thread, you should see a, a link for it. And we're going to do that again this week, but we're actually going to do it Thursday night. Thursday night at 7 o'clock, we're going to have a prayer, uh, a prayer time. And it's real simple. We, we're going to log in through Zoom, and we're just going to get to praying. And then after we pray, if, if anybody wants to chat and have fellowship, we, we can do that after. But we're just going to jump in and pray and uh, seek the Lord. Um, and so I'm excited about that. I've been doing more prayer. I've been on more prayer Zoom calls uh, than I've ever been before. And so um, I think it's good for us to pray um, and have people that you pray with. It's good for church to pray. So we're going to pray together uh, Thursday, 7 o'clock, if, if, you, can, if you can do it. Um, we'd love for you to join us. So we see Jesus' text here. And, and a couple things as we kind of, before we get into just the, the points of this message, I, I would say this, anxiety, worry. I'll use those words interchangeable, but I want you to understand Worry is what leads to anxiety in our in the understanding of how we use that vocabulary in our culture. But anxiety, it is a normal experience. It's a normal human experience uh, of our life. So don't think yourself, I'm abnormal. There's something wrong with me. I shouldn't do this. I, I would say, well, it's a normal experience. But also, it's sin as well. So the scriptures are clear, even in this, that this is, there's a zero, there's a cease and desist order over anxiety in Matthew chapter 6. But yet, at the same time, brother don't, brothers and sisters, don't hear me saying that, that uh, to beat up on yourself if you are experiencing worry, if you are experiencing anxiety. There is no shame in this, but neither is there justification in letting it continue. So listen... You lose your job, you get sick, um, resources become scarce. It's a a normal human response that there would be some, in those moments, there would be worry. And there's moments that worry would build into anxiety. There would be normal that that would happen. But also, it wouldn't be justified to stay there. It would be normal for us to experience that in the moment and for that to attack us, but also would not justify us not going back to the scriptures and reminding our soul. Now, here's the thing. Someone asked me the other day, how do you remember everything you've ever learned and known from the scripture? And I said, haven't found out how to do it yet. I'm constantly going back and going back and going back. And so this is what will happen in the midst of anxiety is you experience it. it sometimes it almost sneaks up on you. It, it, it but before you know it, it, it starts to crowd out your thoughts. And sometimes you don't even know it until you experience that choking moment. That moment where you feel choked out. When you feel like every, that everything else around you is white noise. 
That's when you have to run back to the scriptures and repent. Now, here's the thing. When you really when we really look at the honesty of the scriptures, the scriptures call it sin and put it in a moral category, which means this. That is that gives us hope. Like some people would look at this and go, oh, there it is. You fundamentalist Christians talking about sin. Everything's sin. Well, no, if this falls into a moral category, that gives us actually hope. Because the Savior that we serve has overcome sin. And the Savior that we serve has told us in His Word that we... I mean, Paul said that, that like you're dead to sin and alive to Christ. Which means if God gives us a command that we, to follow, it would, be, it would be cruel for Him not to give us the ability to follow it. Like the Holy Spirit in us ha- helps us to have hope to a level that we can fight against anxiety. So the fact that it is sin, and even Matthew 6 is categorized in that way, is categorized as disobedience, actually gives us hope, actually says we can do something about this. That's good news for us. The problem is many sources, you read many books on this subject matter that are not coming from the authority of Scripture alone will lead us into all sorts of areas that get us to justify anxiety in our life. But that's not so when we look at the totality of Scripture. Now, I do want to take a pause and just give you one little caveat of, of, of worry and anxiety. At this point, some people would go, wait a minute, wait a minute, Nick. I have read where Paul talks about having anxiety. And, 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 and I mean, why is it okay for Paul to have anxiety but for us not to in Matthew chapter 6. So there's a scripture text over in 2 Corinthians 11, 28 through 29, where Paul says, and apart from other things, there is this daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the church. That's in your ESV version. So yes, the scriptures do say that. Now, I want to speak into that real quick, just for those who... Now listen, if you're kind of listening to this message and you're kind of thinking, "I, I didn't even know that existed... Then, then, you know, this will just be extra on top of it. But we have many great students of the Scripture in our church, so here's what I want to speak into on that. In, in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty eight through 29 the ESV version uses, translates the word and uses it anxiety. Now, I'm not, I'm not really sure the ESV version, I don't like the, the way they've translated right there. I actually think the NASB has done a better job capturing the nuance of that whole entire text, the NASB says, apart from such external things, there is the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. So Paul uses the word, the the NASB uses the word concern, and the ESV uses anxiety. I think actually the NASB is using that word more appropriate. See, when you translate biblical languages... There's sometimes many definitions, and the one that goes in there best is the one that fits with the context. Now, when you look at the context of 2 Corinthians chapter 11, what Paul is doing is he's refuting the false apostles, the false teachers that have come in and are speaking to the Corinthian congregation, and he's giving his credentials of of the apostle that he is. And when you look at the text of 2 Corinthians 11, he has gone through all these really radical... In fact, why not I just show you this? Um, Why don't I just show you this? This is the beauty of doing this is... I'm not on some kind of time limit, so uh, I'll just show this to you. If um, Look over in 2 Corinthians. He's, he's giving a defense for his apostleship from all the false pro, uh, apostles that the Corinthians had been listening to. 
and he speaks. When you look in verse 23, um, all the way <clears throat> leading up to verse uh, 28, he talks about all these horrific things he's been through. And that's really his credentials. He's he said, I was beaten with rods, I was stoned, three times was I shipwrecked in verse 25, on frequent journeys and dangers of, in verse 26 of rivers. This is 2 Corinthians 11. Dangers of robbers, my own people, Gentiles, danger in the wilderness, by false brothers. He's just laying out all these personal hardships he's gone through as, a, as being an apostle, like showing like the validity that he is a legit apostle, not like these false posers who are just in it for the money. And one of the things he says, and on top of this, apart from all these things, there is the daily pressure on me of my concern for all the churches. Now, I think the NASB is a better translation than for this one than the ESV. Because what Paul's experiencing here is not anxiety as what we see in Matthew chapter 6 or what we'll look at next week in Philippians 4. Not the same thing. The, he doesn't have a sinful anxiety here. He has what's called a holy concern. And his, his concern, he's trying to describe to them his credentials of all the things he's personally been through. At the same time, all the concern he has for the church. But make no mistake, this, he is not referencing him having any kind of sinful anxiety or is not actually uh, saying that it's okay to have that in this text. He's simply trying to lay out for the Corinthians, listen, you, you're listening to these false apostles. Let me, show you my, uh, let me show you my resume of what I'm going through as an apostle so that you understand like, what a real apostle actually does. So when he comes in and describes his, the ESV says anxiety, the NASB says concern, it's not actually talking about him worrying. It's actually, he's trying to get a point that this is what a real apostle does. A real apostle has concern. And just to speak to that fact, like having concern, having a holy concern where you're moved to action is not sinful. So don't think that the, some people would like to go to the opposite of this way and just kind of claim laziness. Like there's so many people that are just lazy in life that they're not getting up each day, working hard, providing providing for their family, providing a way to be generous for people. And, and they would just like to kind of say, well, I'm just not a worrier. That, that, that's, you're, you're perverting what the scriptures say about that. The birds the, the, that we'll look at here in a minute, they, they don't worry about the future, but they work hard each day. They're not, they're, they're not worrying about gathering up more for the next day, but in the day, they're actually working very hard. The birds have a holy concern. They have a, a concern about feeding their young and gathering what they need for that day. They just don't worry about tomorrow because they know the fathers care for them. So when Paul uses this, this is not in reference to a particular anxiety like we're talking about in Matthew 6. This is in reference to him showing his pedigree for his, uh, his resume for things, for why he is an apostle and they should listen to him. But parenthetically, if you go back over to Matthew chapter 6, I just want you to also notice something, um, you know, in Matthew chapter 6, before we even get into the discussion of, of, um, of anxiousness, the verses before, verse 25, 4 of Matthew 6, says, No one can serve two masters. He will either hate the one and love the others. He'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. And then he goes in and says in verse 25, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Even... Jesus is making this connection between you try to worship money, and when you worship money, you get really worried about the future. And hey, don't worry about the future because God cares for you. So, so just even relaying that to what Paul had done. 
when Paul gave his, his resume, notice all the horrific things he went through personally. And he wasn't worried about any of that kind of stuff. In the text, you don't see him worried about that. The only thing that it uses that word concern has to do with other people, has to do with these churches. And that concern was just actually, was, was actually carrying out the duties for them. However, when we get to the idea of worry and anxiety, it, it actually comes because we're worried about things that have to do with us. We're worried about things that we may not have. That's why he says you can't, you can't worship God and money in verse 24. And that's why he sets us up. Because a person who is anxious about their life, who's anxious about food, anxious about clothing, typically is a person who's worshiping money. So that just helps you to understand there's no contradiction in Scripture. Paul wouldn't forbid... Paul wouldn't talk about Philippians 4 about do not be anxious and then justify his anxiety in his, uh, in his resume to the Corinthian church. So that, hopefully that gives you a good explanation of that. But let me get back to my original statement. Anxiety. Now you can pop back in. Okay, that was all free. Um, just great theological discussion. If you've got more questions, text it in. Uh, to my to my silenced phone over here on the side. But let me get back to my original statement, and that is worry and anxiety. It's a normal human response. Do not be ashamed of it, but do not stay in it. Because it is classified as a sin. It's a clear violation according to our text today. Now, what's what's also interesting is when you read some of the self-help books, they'll say things like, well, here's what you do. Pick five minutes in the morning and five minutes at night and all the worries that you have. Write those worries down. And, and if you're just worried and anxious, have a time where you can just be, be worryful, worrying and anxious and then walk away from it and come back at the end of the day. I cannot, and do it again for five minutes then put it down. I cannot tell you how many times I've, I've, I've heard that and read that. But here's the, the truth. Is that what this book tells us to do? Does, does this book say indulge in sin for five minutes and indulge in sin for five minutes at the end of the day? No, this is why I say you have to be careful about the advice you get. And our, our, our counsel comes from the Lord. And when we see, once again, in this text, we don't see any justification for worry. We don't see that the scriptures say it's okay. It actually puts it in a moral category. Now, what... What some might say at this point is go, listen, Nick. Like sometimes there's the basic necessities of life. And like we've got to, I mean, like sometimes you just got to worry a little bit. I mean, you'll just lose your mind if you don't. Well, well, listen, the original recipients of this text had much less undergirding than we did. I mean, to be honest with you, most of us, most of us received a stimulus check uh, from the IRS this past week. The people of this day, that wouldn't have happened. I mean, they didn't have refrigeration and storehouse and canned goods. Their, their food usually was a day-in, day-out thing. If a famine hit, usually that, that affected them in real time. Most did not have the kind of savings account investments. Or, they didn't have this kind of ability of investing the way that we do. It, it, it was not the same system that had some of the social undergirdings uh, from a governmental standpoint. Now, I had the social undergirding of the family unit, but not like a wider government resource. So I would say this. These people that Jesus is speaking to, we can't look at this text and go, yeah, but it's different for them than us. No, actually, 
the people he's speaking to, it's worse for them than us. Worse for them than us. So let's look at it. I've got six points that I want to make to you in this text. And um, first is this. Worry, anxiety, it comes with a worship on, of, uh, with a worship on self-necessities. Worry and anxiety comes with a worship on self-necessities. Look in verse 25. Jesus says, For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat, what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? So he says, isn't life more than that? Isn't it more than food and clothing? Have you forgot that you were destined for something else? Now listen, Food and shelter are important. Those are important things to work for. Those are important necessities. But to worry about these to the fact of doubting God's care for us would cross over into the way of sin. Now, I'm not telling you that it's wrong to uh, prepare, prepare for a disaster. Especially, you know, some people would say, like, can I ever, like, prepare or stock up? I would say, yeah, but when you stock up, it's something that you've done ahead of time and your goal is actually to serve your neighbors so that you can actually be a blessing and it's not just a self-protection mechanism only. But is there anything wrong with doing that? No, not intrinsically. But is there something wrong where you like buy so much toilet paper that no one can ever buy some in the stores? Yeah. Which, by the way, like why did that even happen? Why, why has toilet paper become such a hot commodity? Uh, I, I'll, I'll never know. I'm convinced there's somebody... There's like a handful of guys that, that rented some U-Hauls and went around and got all the toilet paper in every store and they're just sitting on it right now afraid to sell it on Amazon or something. I don't know. But here's what we do find. When there is panic over tomorrow, that's when we're worshiping our necessities. And that's when we're saying, God, you don't know. You, you, don't, you, don't, you don't know what I need. He knows. It's offensive to him to act like he doesn't know what we need. In fact, he knows so much more of what we need that he even knows how, what we need to pray for before we even know what to pray for. See, worry and anxiety comes with a worship on self-necessities. When we worship something, we give all of our affection, all of our desire, all of our thoughts, all of our joy to it. And what he's pointing out is he's saying your life is more than those things. Those things are not meant to be worshipped. Yes, he knows what our needs. Yes, those need to be supplied. But in the end, he, he is going to take care of us. By the way, what's very interesting about birds, when you look in the text, you know, we're talking about the, the, the sparrow. You ever notice that birds really never overdo it? I mean, they never kind of think to themselves, I'm going to big a builder, a bigger nest. Or, okay, I've got, I've got the worms today. I need to gather up enough worms to kind of hold over here in another nest. No, the, the, the worms are concerned about the, the necessities of life, but their concern really happens in the day and not ahead of it. And this, I think, sometimes what, what kind of uh, hurts us and harms us is, is there's a level of wisdom to preparation, but there's also a level of temptation to sin in it as well, where we start to get so focused. Like, So I would say this, because this is a question people have been asking. What is an appropriate way to prepare an appropriate way to prepare is that you're preparing to be a blessing. You're preparing to share. You're preparing to take care of. But you can know where preparation has gone too far is where preparation has become your hope. 
where preparation has become your joy, where preparation has become your worship, where, where, where you, are, you feel comfortable because of your preparation and not because of a dependence on the Lord. So word and anxiety, it comes with a worship on, on self-necessities. Which, by the way, taking a look at our text once again, we, we're in verse 25, but don't forget verse 24. No man can serve two masters. He'll either hate the one, love the other. He'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money at the same time. Which, which he's just telling us that there can't be this fixation and worship of resources. And this is where we're at sometimes when we worry. We fixate on resources. Notice there's nothing wrong. Like, like money's not evil, the scriptures say. It's the love of money. How do you know you love money? Do you think about it a lot? Does it become your constant focus? Does it all depend on your joy? Is your joy more full the more is in your bank account? Is your joy less full when there's less in your bank account? Or even more than that, if you're in a point in life where you've gained more resources. I mean, sometimes... People, people don't have many resources, and then some people have a lot of resources. If you have a lot of resources, do you start to get panicky that you won't have that same level of resource that you used to have? My friends, that's, what, that's the stranglehold of worry trying to come in and cause anxiety. It means that we have now worshipped the necessities of life. We were never meant to do such things. So number two... Worry and anxiety comes with the worship on self-necessities. Number two, worry and anxiety comes when we don't pay attention to his care for us. When we don't pay attention to his care for us. He uses the birds and the lilies of the field as an illustration in verse 26. He says, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Now listen, when you read the totality of Scripture... There's nothing wrong with actually saving up. We see Joseph saving up for seven years for a famine. So I'm not saying that it's wrong to have a savings account or to prepare for an economy that you're in. Not saying that. But there also is another level here. There's another way that we need to look at this where he says, he says that the birds, they know that the father cares for them. And he says, are you not much worth, are you not much, uh, are you not worth much more than they? Birds don't experience anxiousness. They're not burdened about tomorrow. In fact, probably one of the most boring, one of the most boring um, hobbies I think that, that in my mind is bird watching. Uh, there's so many people that love bird watching, but I would tell you this: if you are a stress, if you are a stressed out, worrisome kind of person, maybe you ought to take up that kind of hobby of bird watching. And instead of enjoying the beauty of those birds much more, maybe just watch the birds and be reminded of Matthew six how these birds are have a holy concern for the day, but they're not panicked over tomorrow. But there's a big principle we see here that the birds know something that we don't know. The birds, he says, are, are you not worthy? Are you not worth much more than they? The birds, they don't, they don't reap nor sow nor gather into barns. The birds know something that we don't know. There's something that they have paid attention to. And the attention is this. They know God created them and they know he sustains them. Now, I'm not talking about the same way we would with the same Imago Dei, the soul that we have. Animals don't have the same kind of eternal soul that we have. They, they don't have that kind of soul. They have an earthly soul, but not an not a eternal soul. And, and so in the midst of this, but what we find is this. The birds, as they're designed, they know they were created and that God will sustain them. Here's a poem 
famous poem, and here's what this famous poem says. Said the wildflower to the sparrow, I should really like to know why these anxious humans being rushed about and worry so. Said the sparrow to the wildflower, friend, I think it must be that they have no heavenly father such as cares for you and me. They know something we don't know is that the father sustains and cares for them. Because the father sustains and cares for them, they don't have anxiety and worry. When we're anxious, we're doubting his care and love for us, which is kind of ridiculous in a couple levels. It's ridiculous just for one of this. How can we as God's children know that, that Jesus has suffered the wrath of God in our place? And that, I mean, this is like us Christians who worry. You can ask a worrisome Christian, one who's genuinely blood-bought, you can go, hey, do you believe Jesus died for your sins, took the punishment of your sins? Yes. Do you believe that Jesus will someday take you to glory? Yes. Do you believe that Jesus will resurrect your body, give you a glorified body, put you in a new heaven, new earth, you will be with him forever, and all things will be peace? Do you believe that? Yes. We believe all those really, those, those huge, magnificent things, but yet we doubt his care for the necessities of life? It's maddening. doesn't even make sense. Even furthermore, if you were to look at Matthew 10 and verse 29, Jesus says... Are not two sparrows, two birds sold for a penny? And are not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father? For even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, are you not much more value than these sparrows? Even, even the fact that Jesus says that, you know, two birds aren't sold for very much and you're of more value than them. And if, if, if the Lord knows about that, if he cares about them and knows when one falls to the ground in death, like, don't you think he cares and knows about you? What, what he's saying is, like, just, like, we're, we're a higher priority than those birds. And if that's the truth, and, and if they're taken care of, and if he knows, like, why would we ever doubt anything that it comes to him? And so, so, I mean, yes, yes. Am I saying a human being has more value than an animal? Absolutely I am saying that. Yes, I am. A human being is made, sorry, Peter, like a human being is made in the image of God. Now, that doesn't mean animals don't need to be cared for and managed appropriately. That's up to creation. That's, that's up to God's mandate on us to actually steward and manage the animal planned it well. But what I want to point to is this. If God cares about birds who have a less, less value than us, cares about the animals less value than us, why would we ever think... That us who are made in his image and us who are joint heirs with Christ, us who have an eternal home in heaven, us who have been redeemed by the, by the very infinite God, why would we ever doubt that he would care about the, the secondary issues of life? Why would we? Even furthermore, keep looking at verse 28. And why are you worried about clothing, he says? Observe how the lilies of the field grow, they do not toil, neither do they spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself, uh, did not clothe himself like one of these. Solomon's temple was beautiful. His kingdom was beautiful. But noth nothing is more beautiful than the, than the lilies of the field. But if God so clothed the grass of the field which is alive today and is tomorrow thrown in the furnace, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. See, flowers have beauty, they have brilliance, but if you were to look at them in a microscope, if you look at a flower in a microscope and you look at some threads, Solomon's clothing, 
the flowers clearly blow it out of blow it out. Clearly, they're beautiful. And so, what the Lord's trying to get across to us is this: if if the if if the lilies of the field, if they're beautiful, and God takes care, and they're not worried. Because tomorrow they get thrown in the fire for fuel. I mean, oftentimes in biblical days, that they would use hay, they would use grass, they would use flowers. A lot of times that was fuel for the fire, that was fuel for their cooking, fuel for even heat at times. Like, why would we think that something that could be so beautiful one day and a part of God's management would be that it would be thrown in the fire tomorrow to benefit humans? Why would we think that today humans would not have value before the Lord? Why would we think that the Lord does not care? Why would we think that he would not clothe us? Well, he gives a reason at the end of verse 30. You of little faith. It actually reveals that we doubt his character. We doubt him. It's actually offensive. This is why... Anxiety is in the category of a moral sin because it reveals that we don't really trust his character. We don't really trust him. We, don't, we're not, we have little faith. And this is not a good thing. This is not one of these winking things that you just wink at and go, this is okay. Worry leads to anxiety, but faith leads to peace. See, the, the greater our faith is in the Lord, the greater our faith is in his character, the greater our faith is that he is in control, he's sovereign, that he is loving, that he is good, that he is wise, the, the greater we will be able to have faith and we'll actually experience peace. By the way, just a side note, um, you ever notice how much emphasis we place on fashion in life? And by the way, not saying anything's wrong with fashion um, you know, I, I'm not the guy to talk about fashion. I've got like two pair. The most of my life, I usually maintain about three pairs of jeans. I usually just have like a handful of clothes at a time. Um, if I could get away with it, I would wear the same shirt and the same pants every day, or maybe just like the same, the same color and same shirt every day, just so I can negate that part of the, the brain where I won't have to think about clothing. I've, I'm almost getting old enough to kind of just get that way where I like black shirt, Black shirt, black pants every day. I don't know. But here's what I would say. Even look at how we are today when it comes to clothing. Like if you were to look at 1 Peter 3, 3 through 4, it says, let your adorning, uh, Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of the hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart which, with an imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. So what's interesting is, like in this passage, he's saying, like, don't worry about what you're going to, don't worry about clothing. Like, don't you think he cares for you? I mean, the lilies of the field know it. I mean, why are you worried about what to eat? Like the birds of the air, they, they know that the Lord cares for them. But you, there is something in this sometimes I think also distracts us. It's, it's that we have little faith. I mean, that's the reason, little faith, verse 30. But also, sometimes I think there's a part of our own sin that's involved in this as well. And it would be this aspect of this. Sometimes we're so focused on the external to the inclusion of the internal. Like, so for instance, when he says in 1 Peter 3, 3 through 4, it's talking about a wife in the context displaying godly traits to an unbelieving husband. We find here is this, that it's, it's, it's not like it's prohibiting clothing and external wear and fashion. It's just saying that can't have your heart. Like what, what ought to be actually something you're more concerned with is not the outward appearance, but the inward appearance. And let me just pose this question. In our culture, do we even think that way? 
like in our worrying about like like have you ever noticed how much we even worry about clothes have you ever notice how many times we think more about the clothes we wear how we fit in those clothes how we look in those clothes then we are concerned about like our actual soul so by the way i mean like if you want to take bad advice that's not scriptural like have five minutes of worry in the morning and have five minutes of worry at night and that's okay. If you want to take that kind of pop psychology bad advice, okay, go for it. Then, then take my other bad advice, which would be this. If you are going to worry, then worry about how your actual heart looks like in worship to Christ before you, you know, the next time you're, you're concerned about, uh, uh, about uh, you're like, hey, Nick, I just need this time to worry, okay? Instead of worrying about your clothes, worry about the fact of where your heart is before the Lord. And, and, and maybe that will actually do something for you. But, but I noticed this, that sometimes even the way we look at life reveals so the hidden sin. And like sometimes we suffer in life, but also we cause more suffering in our life. And when we focus even so much on the external in comparison to the internal worshiping heart. Man, friends, we, we, get, we get off track with what God wants. We, we actually hurt ourselves. We suffer and we cause more suffering. Our sin will actually cause us to suffer. So I would say this. You are more pretty than a piece of clothing. You are more pretty than the, than the, than the lilies of the field. So God cares for you. Like if he's taking care of all these things, why would he not take care of you? We're doubting his care. That's the little faith in question. So we see this. Worry and anxiety comes with a worship on self-necessities. A worship of it. Not a holy concern, but a worship of it. Number two, worship and anxiety, uh, worry and anxiety come when we don't pay attention to his care for us. When we don't become bird watchers and watch how they are cared for. Number three, worry and anxiety does not accomplish anything. You might have thought I overlooked verse 27. I didn't. I just wanted to come back to that separately. Look in verse 27. And who of you being worried can add a single hour to his life? I have a quote from John MacArthur. Nobody has worried themselves into a longer life. Never met that person. Never met that person who could say, I live longer. I haven't read that book yet. That's, I mean, there's all these books about how to live longer. Eat enough leafy green spinach, do enough Pilates. I mean, there's all these things that people say will make you live longer. The truth is, that's not actually true. We can do all those things, and all those things are meant to steward. But in the end, the scriptures have clearly marked out that our days have a certain number to it. And that number has already been determined. Which means this. Nobody's ever worried themselves into a longer life. I've not read that book that says 101 ways to worry so that you live longer. That book doesn't exist. In fact, worry actually does the opposite. Actually, most doctors will tell you that worry is one of the top reasons people actually take time off the clock from an earthly perspective of their life. And there's nothing more maddening than losing time. I, that's the one commodity that no one can actually get back. I mean, you can. I mean, you can. Get, you can give money all day, but you can't. You, you can't get back time. Okay, like time is a is something that's kind of equal ground. It it has no respect with who the person is. 
Like some people may have more resources, some people may have less resources, and they can do different things with those resources. But everybody has the same amount of time. And, you know, have you ever, uh, this has happened several times in life where I had um, one of these prefab little little pieces of furniture. You ever have one of those where you get the directions, it's kind of like stuff you get from Walmart, it's kind of that press board, you've got all these instructions, you take the screws and you start kind of going about it. And this has happened to me, I don't know how many times, you're reading the instructions, but you miss one particular thing and you accidentally put one wrong screw uh, in a place, but you don't know it. So you've gotten to like step 20 in the process. You get all the way to step 20 and you notice like, uh uh-oh, I put that wrong screw here. And now you can see the whole entire thing has is is not right. And you have to disassemble and get the strip it all back down to like step two again and repeat the whole process. And what's maddening about that whole entire time for me has never really been just the effort of it. It's really the time that I lost in it. It was interesting, though. Why don't we ever get that concerned about the time that we lose when it comes to worrying? It's a time waster. It's unproductive. And he tells us that it does not accomplish anything. So worry and anxiety, it comes with a worship of self-necessities. Worship, anxiety comes when we do not pay attention to his care for us. Anxiety comes when we do not, uh, anxiety does not accomplish anything. And number four, anxiety is what unbelievers do. Anxiety in the text is what unbelievers do. He says, do not worry. When he says do not worry, he's meaning stop worrying. Then also, if you're not worrying, don't go ahead and start doing that. What will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear for clothing? He says, the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. Now, Gentiles in this text would denote like unbelievers, people who are, who, who are not followers of the one true God. And it says, this is what they seek after. This is what unbelievers do. So, so followers of Jesus, we are the only people on the planet that have the ability not to walk into anxiety. People without Christ, they don't have any ability not to do that. In fact, I would say this. If you're here and you're watching this and you're without Christ and you are just weighed down by anxiety, what would be the best thing you could do today to relieve that? Come to Jesus. Admit your sin Trust that, he's, trust that he has satisfied the justice uh, and the wrath of God against your sin. Place your faith in him. Be a follower of him. Be a disciple of him. Go get believer's baptism. Start to, be, start to tell other people the glorious message of the life, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. That's what you would need to do to help solve your anxiety. But when you're a pagan, when you're not in Christ, this is, this is a natural thing for you to do. And what Jesus points across is this. You... Your worry, this is what unbelievers do. You know, it's interesting. When you look around, really dedicated Christians who are, are, are not just um, fans of Jesus, but actual followers of Jesus, they usually typically have a lower percentage of divorce. I know there's a statistic that says there's just as much divorce in the church and outside of the church. That's not a true statistic, by the way. All right, That's false, okay? That's been disproven. Typically... A, a follower of Jesus is, has a higher percentage of generous giving in their life, a higher percentage of service and sacrifice. I mean, the, you, you typically can tell a genuine follower of believer their life different from someone who is a pagan. But what is sad is when we see the life of a follower of Jesus, the worry and anxiety looks the same as that of a pagan. And Jesus points out in this, like, this is not us. This is not what you're supposed to do. Why is this? Because 
for the Gentiles seek after all these things. And he says this in verse 32, for your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. Your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. He knows, he knows. Do this in your living room right now. Look over at the person to your right and say, he knows, he knows, he knows. Tell them that he knows. So this is why it's so different. When we have anxiousness, we actually act like Jesus doesn't know. We act like he doesn't know about what's going on. And he does. That, that separates us. The pagan doesn't know that, but we do. The birds know this. So should we. So we're in anxiety. We find that it comes with a worship on self-necessities. Anxiety comes when we don't pay attention to his care for us. Number three, anxiety comes when we do not, uh, anxiety does not accomplish anything. Number four, anxiety is what unbelievers do. Number five, anxiety must be replaced with worship. Anxiety must be replaced with worship. Look in verse 33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. What are all these things added to you? That's not everything you've ever wanted. What, what the, the text, the context is talking about, the necessities of life, what you actually need. Like everything that you need, the provider will provide it. Now, it may not be everything that you want or everything that you think you need, but what you actually need is what you will actually have. Now, what he says is this has to be replaced with worship. <clears throat> we hold on for a second. I've got my mic messed up here that it keeps getting tangled you can kind of see me constantly having to pull this thing out. Give me one second. I got to fix this thing. It is driving me crazy. This can be your potty break. Okay, potty break's over. Hope hope you were fast. So, anxiety must be replaced with worship, friends, with worship. Anxiety cannot survive in an environment of praise to God. Listen to that again. Anxiety cannot survive in an environment of praise to God. I love Colossians 3, 1 through 2, where it says, If you've then been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not the things that are on earth. See, for biblical change to happen in life, there, there has to be a put off of the unrighteous and put on. So it's not just this idea of don't worry. It's let's not worry and let's replace it with actually, you know, let's replace it with worship. And when I say worship, I'm not talking about just singing with your hands raised, which that is one aspect of worship. But the ultimate aspect of worship, it's all encompassing. It's not just lifting your hands and singing to, to the Lord. It's not just praying. It's not just reading the Bible. It is that Plus, it's actually living for his kingdom. It's making disciples. It's being used of him. It's sacrificial service. It's the totality of all the obedience that God calls us to. It's that his kingdom has the most priority in our life. We're most concerned with his kingdom. What was Paul concerned with when his concern for all the church? It had to do with the kingdom. See, anxiety... Anxiety will actually get, get fought against when we replace it with worship. When he becomes what satisfies. When he is what, his kingdom is what consumes our life. And we know this. When his kingdom is not consuming our life, 
then we start to... I mean, because we're always worshiping. That's why in verse 24, he says, you cannot serve God and money. Just to be honest with you, really, I mean, there's a reason the Bible says this. Most of life is about either money or God. I mean, honestly, it is. Like, when we're not worshiping God, typically... The other things that we're worshiping, if you trace it down so many times, a lot of times it just it has to do with money. But what we find is this. You can't worship two things. And if we start to worship necessities, if we start to worship what we think we need, instead of worshiping him and his kingdom, this is when we start to get anxious about life. And God makes us a promise, doesn't he, in this text? He says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Just seek him. If you're worried, what's the best thing that a worrying person, an anxious person can do is to seek his kingdom. You know, one of our elders, uh, George, um, you know, raised up in Georgia. And I don't know if this is just a Georgia thing. I'm sure it is all over. But uh, I've heard him say it many times. I love this quote that George says. He says, a dog on the hunt doesn't know he has a flea. A dog on the hunt. Doesn't know he has a flea. Now, I know we have a lot of Mississippi people, so y'all are probably saying, like, no, that comes from Mississippi. Well, have it if you want to, okay? Whatever. But a dog on the hunt doesn't know he has a flea. And a Christian on the hunt for the kingdom of God doesn't know worry exists, doesn't know anxiety is there. I, I challenge us. If we're functioning in a way of anxiety right now, Ask ourselves this hard question. Am I focused on the kingdom? Does the way I operate each day have a kingdom focus? Am I focusing on the glory of God? Am I focusing on his return? Am I focusing on making disciples? Am I focusing on finding people of peace that God is calling salvation? Am I focusing on discipling those people? Am I focusing on serving other people? And I'm going to tell you, the answer will probably be, not probably, it will be, it'll be no. But actually, when we're focused on his kingdom, we're not focused on ourselves. We're not focused on ourselves. Like I said, a dog on the hunt doesn't know he has a flea. But you take that dog off the hunt, all of a sudden, that little dude's scratching all over the place. Worry, anxiety, it must be replaced with worship. That's how biblical change happens. You don't just stop it. You have to replace it because we're worshipers. So you just don't say, okay, great, Nick, I'm going to stop anxiety. Well, you stop it and you replace it. And as you replace it, that becomes the new habit. And lastly, number six, anxiety refuses to live in the land of what if. Anxiety refuses to live in the land of what if. Jesus says in verse 34, So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will take care of itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So, so Jesus says, I mean, here's what the birds, they, they're not worrying about tomorrow. They, they have a holy concern for, the, for today. And what happens when you have a holy concern for the day is this is where you actually work hard at it. But when we actually start worrying about tomorrow, we get paralysis in today. And when we worry about tomorrow, we don't enjoy the manna for today. We don't enjoy the joy he gives us today. I love that when the children of Israel were out in the wilderness, I mean, and the nor- just the normal day through the week, they weren't to g- gather for the next day. They were to gather for just what they needed for that day. And when it came to the Sabbath day, they were allowed to, to gather just for one extra day. The Lord, so it's not like the Lord said you can't ever gather for, for the future. If the Lord has, has told you, if, if the Lord gave them the ability to even do that with the Sabbath, 
But their day-in, day-out life was about enjoying what God had given you for that day. And here's what happens. When we are anxious, we are worrying about tomorrow and not enjoying Him, the manna He has provided today. That's why He says, tomorrow will be there. There'll be trouble. We don't live in the land of what-ifs. When a person is anxious... The first thing they start with in their soul is a bunch of what-if questions. What if? What if? What if? What if? Well, what if this happens? We're not called to live in the land of what-ifs. Because here's the problem. God's grace is not there. Where is God's grace? God's grace is here today. That's where he promises. He promises in Hebrews 4 that he will give us grace and mercy to help in time of need. Not grace and mercy to help a month from now. Grace and mercy to help in time of need. So when you're fighting anxiety, what one has to say to themselves is, okay, listen, I I, I see it. I feel it. It's coming on. I'm feeling that choking that worry does. Lord, right now, I'm I'm not going to focus on that in the future because your grace is not there. And if that does come... Your grace will meet me right there. You know, one of the biggest fears that people have is dying. I mean, that's, I mean, usually, that, I mean, that's it. That's the, the biggest fear that people have. And here's what I've noticed. The people who worry about dying and get anxious about it, they're worrying like, will they be able to handle it? What will it be like when it comes, right? But you know, the people who take it best are the people who, I mean, who, who think about it best ahead of time are the people that way ahead of time, they say, you know, that'll be tough when that day comes, but God's grace will meet me. So like even in the midst of this, I mean, in the midst of this whole COVID-19, I think if, if you're a sane person, you've had to ask yourself the question, what if someone in my family gets sick? What if I get sick? What if one of my kids gets sick? What if? What if that happens? And what if they're one of the few in this genetic gene pool that are susceptible to it? I mean, some seem to have very light symptoms, but some seem to just, it just absolutely takes them over and takes their life. Like, what, like, like what, if, what if one of my family is that way? What if one of the ones I love, what if someone I cared is in that? The ones who handle it best in that moment are the ones that go, if that happens, God's grace will meet me. I'm concerned about today. Those are the people that actually take it right. But the people who actually just stew over it and start to worship it, they don't make it. So growing up, my parents, um, I never had to worry growing up about my um, food or, or shelter. Uh, my parents, um, I, never, I mean, I never remember being an eight-year-old and thinking. Now some, I mean, man, bless your heart, some of you had to actually think that. But um, my parents, um, I never had to think that way growing up. I never thought at nine, I never thought like, man, I hope we're going to have something to eat tonight. I mean, I, I never thought that way, never had to. Why was that? Because I was convinced of the character of my parents. I had seen that they cared for me, and there was no doubt in my mind that they would do whatever it took to take care of me. So if I would have started worrying about, are we going to have dinner tonight, it's because I was actually concerned about their character. But I never was. And, and, and let's pull that over to our Heavenly Father. The birds and the lilies of the field, they know something we don't know sometimes, is that they're cared for. And when we are walking in anxiety, we're, we're saying to the Lord, I don't trust your character. I don't trust that you can take care of me. I don't trust you. 
And this is a reason why I would say this. It's a normal human earthly response, but it's not justified to stay in it. God has called us to a cease and desist order when it comes to anxiety. God has shown his character through the scriptures. God has shown his character through creation. God has shown his character through the work of the cross. That there should be no doubt in our life. That when and if difficulties come, his grace will meet us. So for today, today we will have a holy concern with what God wants us to have. We will serve others. We will serve his kingdom. We will be more concerned about what's going on in our soul than what we put on our body. And friends... We will live to the glory of God until that one day we meet him. Will you pray with me? Lord, thank you for just your word. Help it to center us. Help to make sense of what we've talked about today. Lord, we love you. We are so tempted during this season to be anxious. There's several in our church that have already had a reduction in paycheck. There's some that have had reduction in resources. Lord, would you let us not walk into the what-ifs? Even several of us have received stimulus checks this week, and, and, and for some of us, we started to place hope in that, and that became a source of satisfaction. Lord, that even has to be delivered. You said you can't worship God in money. Lord, let us go towards your kingdom. Lord, empty us of self and selfish pursuits. Empty us of, of things that are so short of your glory. Let us pursue what is your kingdom. Let us pursue the discipling of our families, the discipling of our loved ones, the discipling of the people you've given to us. Let us seek to know you more, to know your character more, to sacrifice. Lord, let us seek to not just heap things for ourselves, but to see how can we be of greater service with our resources. Lord, let us seek humility, a denial of self, so that we can live in the exaltation of living a life that's free of anxiety. We'll trust you, we'll lean on you in Jesus' name. Amen.